It is absolutely insane how, as footballers, we, we really don't focus on our feet. Now the shot! Oh, what a goal! Just McDonald! Everyone loves playing with her. Because you don't have to worry about the work ethic of the person playing on your right when it's Jessica McDonald. We didn't know how big this lawsuit was going to blow up globally. I'm talking global, the earth. Today, in a stunning move on International Women's Day, all 28 members of the team filed a gender discrimination lawsuit against the U.S. Soccer Federation. We started a global movement for all females all around the world. This wasn't even just about football. This was every career field. And a voice for so many women who deal uh, with gender discrimination. It really was us against the world, but every stadium that we played in, in France, which was jam-packed, everyone's chanting, equal pay, equal pay. And we're looking like, holy, I have chills right now thinking about it, holy crap. We did not expect it to blow up the way that it did. The United States of America are crown champions of the world. I waited 31 years for that moment, you know, and there were more setbacks and losses than there were success. And that's just what it takes to, to lift the trophy. You have no idea what I've gone through to, to win that trophy. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast from the Foot Collective. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so we can all explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. Thanks so much for joining us on the Restore to Explore podcast, Jess. It's uh, been a little while coming being able to sit down and have this chat. It was really great to connect with you probably a few weeks ago now and hear a little bit about your story, but I'm really keen to share your journey with the Foot Collective community. Uh, so for people who don't know who J-Mac is, can you give us a bit of background, uh, who you are, where are you from, and uh, yeah, what's what's your journey been so far? Yeah, um, yeah, it's great to link up once again. I am like super stoked for, you know, for this, this interview. So um, definitely one I was looking forward to, but yeah, I grew up in Glendale, Arizona, in the United States, and I I grew up at a very much so different time than, you know, a lot of these kids. I grew up in the 90s. I was the only girl in my family um, until I was about 14 or 15 years old. I finally got my first girl cousin, but, you know, I have I have an older brother, Brandon. He's two years older than me and obviously had all these guy cousins, and we were just, we were very active kids all the time outside. I mean, Arizona is one of the hottest places in the world. I, you know, I can, I, I can admit that. And, but we all still, we, we still wanted to be very active and the heat never even really phased us. But for me, being outside with all my cousins and my brother, I always had to prove myself because I was always the only girl, whether if it be, street hockey, American football, even soccer, basketball. I mean, you name it. We were outside being very competitive. So I always grew up being a competitor, but I always grew up being an underdog, basically. So I always had to prove myself. And so um, I basically saw my potential in sports at a, a very young age and seeing myself like, oh, I'm hanging with the boys. Like I can do this. And even at one point I was I was quarterback on an American football team. You know, I dabble into volleyball, softball. I mean, you name the sport, I I was in it. And it was because of that underdog mentality that I've 
always had as the only girl in our family. And obviously being a competitor, I've always loved to compete, especially when it comes to sports. And so by the time I was about 12 years old, I finally got into soccer. Um, I played co-ed just like everybody else at the age of like five and six years old, but I started to focus more so on basketball and, and track and other sports as well. Cause I just love doing everything. And I love being out of the house too, just being active. That was just always my personality. And still to this day, obviously being a professional athlete. And so I got into soccer about the age of 12 and really saw my potential probably by the time I was about 14 years old. And I had been given the opportunity to play with the USA women's national team at the youth level. So that was when I really started to see my potential just a couple of years after, after playing at, at such like a high competitive level playing club. And so I started to seek more opportunity with soccer more so than I did the other sports. I got scholarships to play in other sports, but not nowhere near what I was getting for, for soccer and Soccer was bringing me around the world. Even, you know, I got to play in the Pan American Games as a teenager. I got to play in, in CONCACAF, which is World Cup qualifiers at, at the U20 stage, you know, as a teenager. And, you know, being one of the first people in my family to even have a passport was just, it was just such a big deal, you know? And so um, I was still able to play high school sports, even though club soccer was my, my priority. Um, you know, I won state championships in basketball. I set the, I set the state record in Arizona in the 400 in track and field. And I was about 0.2 seconds off from beating my own state record the following year after I broke the state record. So I have the very first state record and, and the second in the state of Arizona in the 400. So that was like a crazy accomplishment that I really wasn't going for. Um, but you know, it, it happened, but that just, let me further know really my potential in sport. Like that, it's just always been my thing. I've always just been a jock. And so went off to college, my first two years in college, I, I played three sports, soccer, basketball, and track. And then finally by my junior year, my third year, um, I finally just focused on, on soccer. And so uh, I've been kind of running with it basically ever since. So I won two college championships at University of North Carolina playing soccer and University of North Carolina is known as this this powerhouse for women's soccer in, in college. Um, we've won 22 out of like 30-something national championships in the history of women's soccer in college. So that lets you know how just incredible the program is. And this is like a funny story to tell, but being a Tar Heel has always been a dream of mine. But the only reason why is because Michael Jordan went there. Like I grew up watching Michael Jordan and not for soccer. Like I always wanted to go for basketball, but you know, it, it was still a dream come true to obviously go for another sport, you know, and being able to represent just in a different kind of way. So um, got drafted to play professionally and I became a mom my second year into being a pro and I've been a pro for about 13 years now, which is absolutely insane to say. I've been playing football now for 23 years now, officially. And I've, I've been a mom out of 11 of those. And so within these last 11, 12 years, you know, I became a three-time professional champion um, and also a World Cup champion in 2019 with the USA Women's National Soccer Team. Well, let's go 
back a bit, back to sort of the early days of the career. I mean, it must have been a different time for women's football when you were coming up through those ranks. I mean, and American soccer in general, uh, it's had like quite a meteoric rise in the last 10 to 15 years. What was it like back then to what, what you see now? I mean, was there much of a profile around the game in the country? No, not even close. No, I figured that yeah. would be the answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's honestly like night and day, but it's obviously at the beginning, it was really frustrating to be a part of just because it's like, okay, I'm a professional athlete. You know, our locker room, we have hooks, you know, there were some locker rooms that didn't even have showers, you know, then there were teams that I played on where I had to take home my uniform and go wash it myself. And so, you know, it's been an amazing journey overall, though, to see where it started and being a part of that start of it all and seeing it progress the way that it has now because people are investing in women's sport now. And it's been an incredible ride just to see the rise of, of women's sports worldwide, not just in the United States, but I mean, this is everywhere. It's it's literally global movement right now. And at the beginning, it was it was very hard. You know, we weren't getting paid very much. I mean, our our season at the time for the first like five years in the WSL was like six months long. Then we had to figure out a full time job in the off season for the other six months. And imagine being a mom, single mom at that, like trying to figure out, you know, life for my kid and I. And so I was able to dabble going in overseas. I did play in the W League, which is now called the A League in Australia. I played for Melbourne Victory and also Western United this past year, which was absolutely amazing for their inaugural season and playing the Bundesliga League in Germany one off season. But, you know, my my kid got to a school age where, you know, I couldn't go anywhere in the off season at that point by the time he turned about six or seven. So he was in school full time. So that that made it a little more difficult to try and go overseas and play. But overall, yeah, I, the, the development of women's football or women's sports, you know, this is all sports at this in point in general, just seeing, you know, the, the support that we've been getting over the years is nothing short of amazing at this point. Having a child so early in your career, I mean, it, it's incredible and remarkable that you, you know, stayed at the top and, just made it work with that juggling act. How was that sort of, <laughs> that obviously challenges involved, but coming back from having a child and then, you know, raising a child while you're traveling <laughs> all over the world and doing all these incredible things. Uh, what was that experience like? It was, at, at the beginning of it all, it was probably more challenging than it was enjoyable. I knew at at the start of my pro career, really as a young girl, that I wanted to be a professional athlete. Like I knew that that was my calling. And even when I became a mom, I was like, okay, I can't let this stop me just because of how hard it is. And the lack of support, especially my my kid's about to be 12, you know, imagine, you know, 12, 12 years ago, all the way through about, I mean, they just started accepting moms globally probably within the last like few years now it just started getting accepted being a mom in sports like being a professional athlete it's never been a known thing to be a a pro mom basically and so I lacked a lot of support I um I really had to figure out a support system everywhere that I did travel to so the first 
five years as a mom and as a pro, I got traded to six different teams in, in the NWSL. So this is like different states. I'm not talking about just like staying in one state and moving city to city. I'm talking moving different states and different parts of the United States. And, you know, as, as everybody knows, like the United States is a very large country. And so literally got traded from one side of the country from the East Coast, which was Chicago, Illinois, all the way to Seattle, you know, Seattle, Washington, which is in the Northwest. So I had to figure out, okay, while not getting paid much, you know, I'm getting paid probably about $15,000, you know, a season being a single mom. Now I'm getting traded. I can't afford childcare, you know, in, in Aussie dollars, that's about 20, 22 K ish, which is like nothing basically. And so nothing. just trying to figure out childcare, childcare is very expensive. Childcare is probably about the same amount as my, my paychecks basically. And so there were days where my son would literally be sitting in his stroller on his own at training. I had a lot of days like that. And, you know, during water breaks, I'd walk over, give him a bottle during water breaks. I'd walk over, change his diaper as quickly as I could, and then get back into the next passing pattern with my team. And so um, that was like, that was the most challenging part. And so those moments made me really question myself as a mom, like, gosh, am I doing things right? Because when you're a parent, there is no guide. There is no like parenting book that tells you like, you're doing things right and wrong. Like you always have that worry and, you know, you, you go with the flow as a parent, like, okay, am I doing things right? Okay. The fact that I'm worrying, okay, that's good enough because at least that means that I care, you know? And so, um, it was very difficult and, you know, it, it still has its challenges, but I think globally now we're getting more moms, you know, there was a point in time like where I've even right now in club, you know, I play for Racing Louisville and I played for Western United. I'm still the only mom on these teams. Like, you know, so it's still very rare, but there are more moms now. But we are starting, starting to get some, some support. So um, that's why, like, when I do retire, I don't want anyone to go through the same struggle that I went through as a mom and, and juggling being a professional athlete at the same time. It is a massive juggling act just in terms of, you know, timelines. I mean, as a professional athlete in any sport, you do have sort of a deadline on when you can play until. And being a mother, there's a there's a time clock on that as well. And, you know, trying to decide which passion you want to pursue or having to choose between the two, you know, I can't even imagine. And I know at the recent World Cup, um, there was a lot of sort of praise and um, support for Katrina Gorey from Australia who had, you know, had a child and returned to the game. And it was fantastic that that was, you know, so, so well supported. But, you know, it is now a different time where I'm, I'm sure, you know, salaries are still not where they need to be, but at least there are, are more supports. So it's, yeah, kudos to you for, for making it work. It's remarkable. And then you win the World Cup. I mean, was that sort of the, the crowning moment of it all? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, I, I, I tell you about all the trades and the difficulties of juggling being a mom and, and a professional footballer. But raising that trophy with my son at the time, you know, we were in France together and I was the only mom on the World Cup team as well, by the way, <laughs> only mom on the USA team during that time frame too. So 
here I am still carrying that underdog mentality, you know, trying to just make the roster and make the roster and we win it all. And it was, people ask me this all the time. What's it like winning the World Cup? And I'm like, it was the most relieving feeling ever in my life because, you know, I've, I've gone through, yeah, it was such a relief. It just, I'd gone through injury, just like most athletes, um, just before I became a mom. So I fully ruptured my patellar tendon about in, in 2010. So 13 years ago, and it was a two year recovery. And in the middle of that recovery, I found out I'm pregnant with my son. So I'm recovering from two of like the like worst things and most excruciating things like you could possibly <laughs> recover from, you know? And so I look back at my injury, you know, recovering from, you know, giving birth all the way through all the trades throughout my career, scraping pennies just to make ends meet. And then finally my dream comes true after all of that. And literally in that moment, you know, as I'm taking photos of my son, he's holding the trophy up. You know, I just looked at him at one point and I was like, buddy, we, we fucking did it. Like this is, it was just like so much weight lifted off my shoulders. And obviously like it was one of the best feelings ever, obviously, because of all the, the work that we put in, but just looking at really all of the setbacks and the adversity, you know, throughout my career, I, I thought of it all in that moment. And I was like, thank God, you know, it, it, it wasn't relief. That's and people look at me crazy when they're like a relief. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea what I've gone through to, to win that trophy. You have no idea what I what I went through throughout my entire it life. Competition. It wasn't. Yeah. No, it was it was a lifetime of, you know, I was 31 years old when I won a World Cup. I waited 31 years for that moment, you know, and there were more setbacks and losses than there were, you know, success. And that's that's just what it takes to to lift the trophy. So yeah, it was it was such a relief, but like literally one of the best feelings in the world. What were your emotions then this World Cup around? Uh, obviously, that, that last World Cup, just in the past four years, that's how much the game has grown globally, uh, for, for women's football in particular. Uh, to see the amount of fans turning out for these games. I mean, we had a, a World Cup qualifier here in Australia um, over the weekend in Perth. Um, I think they had three games over the weekend and sold 80,000 tickets. They had 60,000 fans at the game on Saturday night in a, I think it was a game against the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Matildas won Mm -hmm. 8-0. A game like that, two, three years ago, they would have struggled to get 2,000 fans Mm -hmm. too. And now they're selling out a stadium. More fans are turning up to watch the Matildas play than to watch the, the Socceroos, the men's Australian football team play. It's been a remarkable rise. I mean, I'm talking locally about the impact we've seen here, but you were part of the coverage and, and part of that World Cup. Can, can you tell me what it was like sort of four years on? Obviously, the, the, the previous World Cup probably felt like an individual you know, accomplishment to to see what you'd individually achieve, but then to see what the game itself has has grown to and what you've been a part of. Yeah, what what were the emotions like for that? Oh man, I have if you didn't feel every emotion throughout the entire twenty twenty three women's world cup, you were not a human being. That's literally what this World Cup brought was every emotion every bit of drama that you could possibly imagine. And 
I noticed the change in women's pro football globally starting in 2019. And I firmly, I firmly believe this because if you look at 2019 in comparison to 2023, it was like, okay, United States, we were expected to win again. You know, we just were. And so um, going into that was something much bigger than us winning a World Cup. We started a global movement for all females all around the world. And that was when we had filed our equal pay lawsuit against our employer, which is something you don't hear about with women and their employer because I feel like it's always just been a, a man's world, basically, at the end of the day. And we saw the inequality of obviously our sport and our jobs in the United States. It's like, okay, we've been pretty successful here. Our men haven't, you know, they're getting paid this amount. And we looked at the numbers and we compared and we're like, look, we're, we're pushing four world cups at this point. Now we have a few Olympics here at this point. I think we've proven ourselves that, you know, we, we deserve a little bit more than what we're getting here. Like, what what is this? You know, and, and it felt like a slap in our face. So we took this leap of faith, which is something you just, you you don't hear about. It Like, anywhere, at any point in time for females to come together, sue your employer, and hope and pray that this does not affect your career. Because our employer, I mean, our lives, our careers, it's it's in their hands, basically. We don't, like, they didn't have to allow us to be there. And that was just the risk that we ended up making. And it was like, okay, we filed this lawsuit. Now we have to win the World Cup. We have, we have no choice at this point, you know, in 2019. <laughs> and so once we saw, we didn't know how, how big this lawsuit was going to blow up globally. I'm talking global, the earth, you know, like earth's population for females in every career field. This wasn't even just about football. This was every career field because in the stadium, every stadium that we played in, in France, which is a whole different continent, a whole different country from us, you know, and and everybody hated us. Like everybody hated the United States and France, you know, like it, it was just funny. It really was us against the world, but hearing every stadium, which was jam packed with, with, with supporters, everyone's chanting equal pay, equal pay. And we're looking like, holy, I have chills right now thinking about it. Holy crap. We did not expect it to blow up the way that it did. And then after the world cup happened in 2019, we see all these other federations of female footballers following suit. The Matildas did it. Sweden did it. I mean, I, I can name all these countries of, of female, you know, footballing federations who you really stepped up to the plate and followed suit after us. And it was just kind of like, holy crap, we did not expect that to happen. And so now there's this recognition of, of women's football, like, hey, we deserve this. You know what I mean? This is a, a global fight. And we'd realized it was something just bigger than ourselves once, you know, we had actresses we had i mean nannies you name the career people were coming to us as players like we we had all of these meetings and we had all these get togethers with just like famous actresses i mean all different career fields and they're just like 
thank you for what you're doing. You know, I get paid this much and this is how much my, you know, my coworker gets paid, but I work more hours than he does. And I'm like, I'm listening to these stories like, holy crap, it's not just us. Okay, what can we do to move forward here? And so I really think that with the Equal Pay Act, it really helps set the standard for women's football globally. And it really helps set the standard for, you know, all female career fields globally. And um, once once women's soccer started to get that recognition, you know, post-2019 World Cup, you just see this rise in fan base like, oh, there's women's soccer here. Oh, there's an A-League in Australia. I mean, look at it now, post-2023 World Cup. And same thing happened in WSL once, you know, everyone saw the United States' potential in 2018 after we won it. We, we got a rise in, in a fan base. We got more people investing in our league in the WSL in 2019. So, and, and you look at the numbers now, I mean, it, it skyrocketed. It's like night and day. And so now the same thing is happening for Australia. So the A-League, you know, just because the Matildas were a hit this this World Cup and they succeeded better than they have ever in the history, you know, of, of the Matildas Federation. And so you will continue to see this rise in, in female football, you know, as, as the years go. But I honestly firmly believe that it was that 2019 lawsuit movement that really helped, you know, raise the bar. Yeah. The first domino. And yeah. now look at it now we're, we're doing it. Yeah. It's, it's so exciting to see. And just, yeah, I mean, probably an emotion of relief again, just to say that finally something is changing. There's still a long way to go. I mean, I'm a, a diehard Chelsea supporter and oh, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, I know. I, I had to bring that up. Well, it's been a rough season. It has. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's been a rough season for the men, yeah. not for the women. Yeah. The women are doing really well. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm watching Nico Jackson, our new striker, who can't buy a goal, uh, you know, struggle. He's going to be heading off to the African Cup of Nations mm-hmm. at the end of the year for a couple of months. And he's getting paid three times as much as Sam Kerr, mm-hmm. who is consistently scoring and is recognized as one of the best footballers on the planet. And, and so, you know, there, there is still a long way to go, but the fact that we are talking about these players in the same breath is, is, you know, is a sign of the fact that, you know, I think we are on the right path and yeah, I, I just, I couldn't echo your sentiments any louder about that world cup and how, amazing it was to be an Australian and to witness that locally and the flow-on effect that we've seen to young footballers. Uh, you know, I'm sure you'd be experiencing that at home, just just having a profile. Um, and, and, you know, we were at a coffee shop uh, after the, must have been after the quarterfinal and my partner goes, oh, that's, that's uh, Mackenzie Arnold, the goalkeeper. She would not have been able to name one female footballer before that World Cup, and now she's being able to spot them in a crowd in a coffee shop. That's awesome. So, yeah. you know, just little things like that that I think go a long way to to ensuring that, yeah, that that gap gets smaller. But with your injuries, I mean, can you, can you talk to me about that part of your career and what you've sort of experienced? I guess that'll sort of bring us to why you're talking on a podcast about feet today. but. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, what have you experienced in your career? And um, I'm really intrigued to see how resilient your body's been because I think what you were describing about your your childhood and the variability of movement that you got 
across all of the different sports that you were playing, you know, we often attest that that's a, a key component to, to being a really resilient athlete. But yeah, what, what did you sort of witness from your own career? Yeah, so I had in, in 2010, so 13 years ago, I had fully ruptured my patellar tendon, which is a very, very rare injury. I mean, it happens in American football and car accidents, basically. And um, yeah, very, very rare injury. It's, it's tendon right in front of your knee. And I was told at the time that I had like a one in 10 chance of even playing sport at a high level again. I was 22 years old. So this was probably mentally the most challenging time of my life. This is my very first injury. And really the only time I've had a major surgery still to this day, knock on, knock on wood. Um, so that was just like, just devastating because the only thing I ever knew was sport at that point. You know, I, I'm a jock. I wasn't expecting to change career fields at the age of 22, you know, and, um, I, I just thought that my path as a professional athlete would have been much longer than expected. And so I start to recover from that. And this is probably one of the most bizarre things. This is probably about my third time saying in, in, in an interview over the last 12 years that I've been a mom. But um, when you're pregnant, so I find out I'm pregnant in the middle of my recovery. Recovery took two years. And I found out at 23, I was pregnant with my son and had him at 24. But after I had my son, um, there's like slight scientific ev evidence that this, this could be true. But I firmly believe just because, you know, I, I was told I, I'm not supposed to play at a high level again. But when you're, when you're pregnant, and this isn't the praise that, you know, a lot of women get when they are pregnant, because we feel like crap, um, is that you honestly, you, you turn into a superhuman. You turn into superhuman because your body is developing, you know, more minerals, more, you know, hormones, more, more everything. It's, it's just like triple, you know, heal. It's actually healing your body basically when you're pregnant, it's healing everything, even though you're getting these effects of, you know, exhaustion, you're exhausted because it's consuming so much of your energy. But at the end of the day, you're also consuming so many other beneficial things to your body because you're growing a whole another human. So you have this whole other human in your body that is also producing very good things in your body, vitamins, minerals. I mean, you name it. I mean, just incredible things that the female body does. So I think it was a surprise that I got pregnant in the middle of this recovery. I wasn't expecting to be a young mom, but you know, um, I firmly believe my son healed, healed me. I'm not supposed, according to science, I'm not supposed to be playing. I'm, I'm just not. And so I firmly believe my son healed me. And because I started to feel better after I'd given birth to him, I was like, okay, I started training again. And I was like, okay, I, I feel good, you know, and I haven't had a knee issue ever since basically. And so one what? of my, one of my issues, I, I knew what it was, was my balance. My balance was horrible. And the reason why I know that is because, um, that was one of the things I really had to work on, you know, when I, when I was recovering from my knee surgery and, um, something I started to focus on a little bit more and I didn't really discipline myself with balance. I only did for the recovery, just the sake of to recover from my knee surgery, basically, you know, I was young and I was like, okay, I'm just get through rehab and like start playing again. So that was basically my, 
yeah, I checked the box and, and that's it. So here I am recovered. And then um, once I started to see um, different soccer cleats over the years, I can't even say different soccer cleats. I've been wearing tempos for probably about 10 to 11 consecutive years now. So I've been wearing the same boot, basically. At first it was hypervenoms. And then I noticed that because of the way that I run, as a striker, sometimes I make my runs too early. So I, I go offside some, a lot of times. So when I slow myself down, I drag my big toe. I drag it to slow myself down. It's almost like hitting a brake. My brake is like my big toe. So I, I drag it. It's, it's, I don't know if... I don't know if any other athletes do this, but you know, um, so I, I dragged my toe a lot. So the hypervenom's always broke. And so I had to find a, a new cleat that really suited the way that I run and slow down basically. So then over the years, you know, I, I started to fall in love with the tempos. Those started to feel good because they, they stretched. I, I like a lot of room in my cleats. I don't like my feet to be smushed. It's like one of the worst feelings to me, you know, but a lot of my teammates wear very narrow cleats and they love their feet to be smushed. That's comfortable to them. But for me, I don't, I don't like that. And so these past few years, I noticed the tempo material was starting to change. And so these past few years, I had realized that um, I started to develop a bunion. And I'm like, I'm devastated because you know, I, I take pride in my feet. You know, I really take care of them just because basically my feet are my job, you know, if you look at it. And so I, I try to do the best I can to take care of my feet. And so I was talking to a teammate one day a few years ago and I was like, gosh, like I'm starting to get this bunion. I know the material is changing on the tempos. Like this is like kind of making me mad a little bit. You know, my feet don't feel that great. And so um, she was like, oh, have you heard of the Foot Collective? I'm like, what is that? You know, and she's like, oh, she's <laughs> like, I follow their Instagram. I, I do a lot of like their, their balancing exercises. You know, they have like the balance beam and um She's like, you should get some toe stretchers too. Like, she's like, toe stretchers will definitely help you. So I started to do my research. I started following the Foot Collective and got a balance beam immediately and um, started using that more. So I started to strengthen my feet. Um, and it's really funny because I've had these toe, I, ha I wear toe stretchers all the time. I get made fun of by my teammates on the airplane when we're going to a game or coming from a game, I put my toe stretchers on and, um, I'm on my balance beam probably a couple times a week. And sometimes I even have my 11 year old get on that thing. So I'm like, Oh no, I don't need for you to go through the same things that, that I go through with my feet, you know, but I didn't realize over the last, you know, I'm, I'm 35 realizing in my thirties that how important, you know, obviously balances and strengthening your feet really affects the rest of your body. It's like really head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes, like everything's really aligned with each other. And so with the balance beam, I, I noticed that my hips started to strengthen and now I'm seeing like all these ACL tears in, in female soccer over the last few years. And I'm like, oh Lord, like I've, so I've been really disciplining myself, trying to take care of my feet because then it keeps everything else aligned, especially like from hips to lower back whatever the case may be, everything's just so connected. And so um, toe stretchers and, and that balance beam have been my my pride and joy over the past, you know, few years now. And now I've had to change my cleats once again. And it's just because I, I need the space in, with my feet, but the toe stretchers and, and being able to use the balance beam have like really changed my feet tremendously. And I get made fun of too by my teammates with the toe stretchers, but also, um, 
I don't know if you know this, but athletes, we, we do something called prehab, which is activation. And, you know, activation normally consists of, you know, band work for really your hips and hamstrings and kind of getting everything warmed up, but we never work on our feet. So for me, I always have a band around my two big toes and the Foot Collective has a lot of um, exercises on their Instagram that, you know, I, I do for prehab as well for my activation. So I work on my big toes. I do my big toe exercises with, with the band. And um, that's been like one of my favorite things. And people are just looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm activating my toes. So don't you dare make fun of me, <laughs> you know? And yeah. Oof. We wanted to take a quick break from the episode to let you know about our ultimate free foot health resource. If you're listening, you've probably already started the journey towards improving your foot and movement health. But if you're still wearing conventional shoes most of the time, that's anything cushioned, heeled, narrow or rigid, it's kind of like taking one step forward and two steps back. Knowing what shoe is right for you though can be super confusing. That's why we made the Guide to Foot Freedom. We've taken everything our team of foot health experts have learned over the years and synthesized it into one handy manual, packed with all you need to know about unleashing the natural power of your foundation. You'll learn how to understand your feet, the truth about modern footwear, the five F's for finding natural footwear, plus a step-by-step -step guide with training videos to help you assess your foot function and improve it so you can safely and seamlessly transition into shoes that will finally give your feet freedom. The best part is, like I said, it's absolutely free. Just head to thefootcollective.com and click learn to find the free ebook, The Guide to Foot Freedom. You'll find the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. It's something that keeps coming up on these chats I've been having with athletes. Yeah, I guess the, the looks and the, the giggles that you get from other teammates uh, when you are doing your foot focused work. I mean, what you said before, your feet are pretty much the most important part of, you know, the, your most important tool, particularly as a, a soccer player or a footballer. Mm -hmm. When you when you look at other teammates' feet, I mean, uh, we, we I had a chat with a basketballer the other day who plays um, in the NBL here in Australia. And, you know, he's been on a similar journey to you. He's a little later in his career and has just started you know, working on his feet and big toe extension and, and getting that movement and strength back. And now he's looking at all of his teammates' feet through a different lens as well. Uh, have you been noticing, you know, I, I guess, issues with your teammates' feet? And how do you sort of broach that topic? Because uh, obviously the information was passed on to you initially. Is it a tough one to sort of crack? It is because, you know, this, oh gosh, I have, man, I have teammates who were born and I was graduating high school, so I have a lot of young, <laughs> young, <laughs> young teammates who, you know, through one ear and out the other, it's like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, hey, I, I'm I'm pushing 36. Look, look at the career that I've had, and it's because of the things that I'm obviously mm -hmm. doing with my body. And so, um, I get made fun of, and especially with like the shoes that I wear. You know, I wear some of they call them, you know, <laughs> they call my shoes the janitor 3000s because they're like for old people, basically. You know, and um, it, it, it's so funny. But, um, you know, I do try and tell a lot of my teammates um, who have these foot issues because there are a lot of bunions in women's soccer, which I've noticed. I didn't notice people's feet until I started having issues with mine. You know, I start looking down. I'm like, oof, yeah, you have it. You know, I, I, I pride myself on my feet just because I, I see a lot worse, you know, in, in my career. And so um, 
I have approached a few teammates of mine and I'm like, who, who have actually complained about their bunions. And I'm like, Hey, you should do these exercises. I'll send them clips of, you know, the foot collectives, Instagram accounts. And I'm like, Hey, check this video out. You can do this in prehab. And sure enough, in the middle of my A-League season with Western United, I had a teammate that was sitting there doing her prehab and doing one of the bunion exercises in the locker room. I'm like, yes. And it was, it was Sydney Cummings. And I, I hope she doesn't mind me throwing her name out there, but um, <laughs> yeah, she, she's doing the exercises that, you know, I was showing her and I was like, yes, that made me so happy because, you know, I do them too. But um, so there are some teammates who listen, some that don't. And there, there's a lot of teammates of mine who have, you know, plantar fasciitis that who are, coming off surgeries who are much younger than me. Um, there are some who haven't had surgery yet, but having trouble just walking. And so I'm like, Hey, maybe you should try this. This might, this might help, you know, but I do have some pretty stubborn teammates and friends. So, yeah. It's a, it's a tough one when you're, uh, I guess at that level and haven't been exposed to it at all throughout your career when, you know, you've been playing for, from your juniors, you know, right through all of these competitive divisions and teams and, you know, even at the national level, and you've never done any foot-focused stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, it obviously sounds like a really bizarre concept, but at its core, it's quite simple if you're focusing on all the other parts of your body and trying to strengthen and mobilise and improve their function. Maybe the, the things that you're walking and running around on and kicking a ball with should be looked after as well. But I also think you know, the boots themselves and, and how uh, how fixated the game is on the, the latest beautiful boot that's been released and style. Because we are then just wrapping our feet in these, you know, I guess walking billboards, uh, very rarely do we actually get to love the feet that, that are inside them where we're so fixated on the boot that goes around them. Mm -hmm and thinking that that's the technology that's going to help us perform the best on the field. It's like, well, it's got carbon fiber and it's super lightweight and it, you know, it's, it's designed to help you kick the ball better. And it's like, well, yeah, but how does the thing that's actually doing that work that's inside the boot function first? Uh, because it's all well and good to be able to play for 70 or 90 minutes, but then not to be able to walk after that. Uh, yeah. I think what we're trying to do with, conversations with people like yourself and other athletes is be like okay it's it's great that you can play at the current level you're playing but what if you could get more out of your game currently by just doing a little bit extra and it doesn't like you've said it doesn't have to be a lot of balance or foot focus training that you're doing to start seeing results the basketballer we spoke to last week isn't doing much but he's like oh my god i can my big token move i didn't i'd forgotten that my big toe could move um so just just little things like that and then you know for someone like yourself who's coming towards the end of her career it's it's what happens after that career that really you've got more than you're not even halfway through your life and you need to be able to live post the game and, and a big part of being able to live is being able to move and and walk around and run around the earth and, and play with your kids so you know while it's all well and good to sort of joke about it in the club, in the change room and laugh at your wild toes or your toe spreaders. Um, yeah, I think that that is a re real big part of why we want to have these discussions because we've got to destigmatize the feed. Absolutely. 
I 100% agree. Even though I get made fun of, I'm like, hey, I'm st I'm still trying to spread the word and help you guys out, you know. So hopefully at some point it'll it'll resonate with with my younger teammates. But it's it it is absolutely insane how as footballers we we really don't focus on our feet. Now that I really think about it, it hasn't been a mandatory. There haven't been mandatory exercises whatsoever that have to do with our feet, and that's really the most important body part, especially in our, in our careers. And so, I think that's something that you know we can continue to have a discussion about with as many people as possible. But I think it starts with you know our trainers and and really people like that who who know more about the body than most of us, but probably start realizing how important the feet are as well because there's a lot of ankle injuries as well. And I, I really truly feel like it starts with the feet. You know, once you strengthen your feet, then everything else just kind of falls into place. And so um, I'm just happy that I was introduced to the Foot Collective because that's that's given me a longer career at this point, you know, being 35 and still being able to to play 90 minutes without, you know, coming out of my boots and having a hard time walking, which at the beginning of my Bunyan days was, was a very difficult thing to do after trainings and and after games as well. So ever since I started really focusing on my feet and being cognizant of that, um, you know, I've been a lot more comfortable being able just to walk out of my boots, you know, post post training and, and post game as well. And ACLs are, you know, like you mentioned before, like a major issue that we're starting to see with, um, you know, all sports. It's rife uh, in Australian football here, it's AFL. Um, and, you know, junior sports to team members from the Foot Collective here in Oz both played uh, soccer growing up and both did ACL injuries in their, you know, late teens. Um, and again, it's an injury that keeps you out of the game for so long. Uh, and it's one of these things where, like, I'm sure you probably noticed with the balance training that you've been doing, like, while, while yes, it's foot focused, like you were saying, can feel that the rest of the body is sort of rewiring and um, just falling into line. And I guess the hard thing to communicate to young athletes about the importance of something that, you know, I think injury prevention is something that's really hard to communicate to people because until you get injured, you don't understand the value of trying to prevent that injury. Uh, and when it's not something specific, like doing balance training, you're like, well, I can't necessarily really feel my knee working. so that's not going to protect me from, uh, you know, an ACL injury or, uh, you know, if you're not doing ankle focused mobility, then that's not really going to you know, help me from preventing an, an ankle sprain or an ankle injury. But yeah, trying to communicate the importance of having that whole body coordination to players so that they don't get into these positions where they can injure themselves because it's, yeah, it's not just the physical impact of that injury that's that's the hardest part it's like you said that mental gain that a big injury takes you know on your whole well-being um, and yeah I mean the top level of, of football in particular we are constantly seeing ACL injuries that are keeping players out for six to 12 months and yeah you can only imagine I know Reese James is one that pops to mind as a Chelsea player frustrating as a fan watching him constantly being injured and, and being out but I can only imagine and I see it you know a, a very brief view of it through Instagram posts when he does suffer another injury like just the torment it must take on 
on athletes. Um, yeah, I'm not sure whether you've seen it with, with your own teammates as well, but it, it must really take a toll. Absolutely, because, you know, it's it's your job. And, you know, for, I can't speak for everybody, but this is something that we really love doing. And for an injury to to keep us or prevent us from continuing doing what we love doing, that could really cause a serious hardship, especially mentally. And so it's like, okay, how can we be cognizant of preventing this from happening? Because I think that should be more of the discussion now with, you know, all of these ACL tears. I mean, Neymar just tore his and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is really like, a, <laughs> it's a global thing that's happening right now. And so it's mm -hmm. like, okay, why is this happening right now? Can we, can we kind of hit a reset button? Like what, what is this? And I, I think that over the years, like for me, um, knowing my own body, I know how and know what I need to do in order to prepare basically. And like, praise God, I've never torn my ACL. Like obviously I had one major injury and I've, I've prevented that from <laughs> prevented that from happening, you know, but like, um, just because I know my body and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go out there, you know, with more, more mental strength going into games, going into trainings, giving it my all, but also how can I prepare myself in order to do that? And, you know, it, and, and it has a lot to do with nutrition. I mean, we can, we can go on and on for days about, you know, the things that athletes need to do. In order it's to not do. one thing. It's not just one thing. Yeah. yeah. It's not just the feet. It's no. like, it's everything else. So, yeah. But if you're doing everything else, then adding something like, or if you feel like you're doing everything else and you find out there's something that you're not doing, that isn't that hard to add in. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's the secret sauce. It's like, I, I'm sure a lot of players at the top think, well, I'm doing everything I possibly can be performing at the top. And I just challenge them to say, well, are you spending five to 10 minutes a day working on your feet and your balance? And if you're not, add it in and see what happens. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be challenging or um, really taxing on the body. It's, it's super simple mm -hmm. it's super accessible. We've got a heap of free training out there that, you know, that athletes can give a go. You don't need any tools. I mean, the tools make it more fun and, and mean that you can see more progress. But just starting with simple, you know, foot and balance exercises on flat ground, um, you, can, you can start doing something. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully then we get to a stage where you're not the weird one, Jess. And <laughs> Amen. <laughs> everyone. <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah. Well, before we go, I, I did want to ask uh, about the next chapter because uh, I think you've you've got an exciting new chapter that's uh, well, it's, it's underway. But uh, yeah, do you want to share with everyone what's about to be going down? Oh yeah, oh man, I am. I have a little bun in the oven. Can't say it's little anymore, but yeah, I'll be expecting my second. I've seen the photos. It's not little. <laughs> yeah, not little at all. Um, I am expecting my second child within probably the next four weeks now, we're at the tail end of this pregnancy. So it's so bizarre to say that I'm about to be a mom of two, a preteen and a newborn, which are like two very different <laughs> age gaps. So it's it's definitely going to be a, a fun and, and interesting ride. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. So just send me just all, all good vibes with that. So Sending them your way. Thank but you. Is that going to, are you going to try and get back to playing after? I mean, do you have any plans or is motherhood is the focus now? And we'll just see what happens. You know what? I have 
I have something you call pregnancy brain. And you know, <laughs> fun fact is that our our brains shrink when you're pregnant. This is something, you know, they like they don't tell you. Our brains actually shrink while we're pregnant. So like it's 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 my head's been all over the place. So well, you've been very coherent this interview, so <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, you know. I gotta think before I speak. So I I would love to play, um, if anything. So I still got it. I, I have I have a lot left in me to play. Like physically, I firmly believe I could play till I'm about 40. But in reality, I don't think it's it's realistic to play for that long just because you know I'm I'm a single mom of two now I have a middle schooler and now a newborn so at this point I would like to play at the least at the least another season just as a farewell just closure in my career because I could definitely say that I am Content, very grateful, and blessed with the football journey that I've had throughout my life because not a lot of people can say this in sport, no matter what type of professional athlete you are and what sport that you play. But I've won a championship at every level. Every single level that I've ever played at, I've won a championship. And I'm very proud of my journey. And you know, I've, I've nothing else to prove. And that's why I'm very content with my career. So I have a little bit of juice left. So I I do want to give football that last little bit of juice, you know, and just say goodbye and hang up the boots. What does that look like right now? I don't know. Like, could it be a full season, half a season, two seasons? I don't know. Just because I have, I do have so many options post career, on what I'm going to do with my life. And I am actually looking forward to that and probably being settled somewhere as well. That's like really been in the back of my mind because I've, I've moved around so much, so, so much. And it's, it's coming to a close where I'm like ready to be settled somewhere for a longer period of time, you know? So that's, that's another thing. So um, I have a little bit left, so we'll see what that looks like you know, within the next year or two. So I'm hoping to, you know, put the boots back on probably around like New Year's and then just see how it's going to go and look at my options playing wise. But I am looking forward to post-career as well, which is, it, it, it'll be coming up very soon. You've earned it. You've definitely earned it. And hopefully we can drag you over to Oz, get you back down under for that. <laughs> that victory tour. I would love to. Um, I would love to come back down and play in the A League. So we'll we'll see how that looks as well. <laughs> well, well, thanks so much for taking the time and yeah, for sharing your story. It's been really eye opening and yeah, I think it's it's inspiring to hear someone who has been on a really it, it's been a journey. It's like <laughs> you've been through <laughs> the ringer and um, have experienced it all. And yeah, I'm, I'm so privileged to have you on the podcast to be able to share that with our community so yeah thanks for chatting yeah i appreciate you having me i i really do and 
you know, I'm I'm just looking forward to, you know, my partnership with the Foot Collective as well. I, I don't think you understand how life changing that is, you know, really for me and now my, my kids as well, just because I can, you know, I, I'm someone they look up to and what other kind of ways can I help them with, you know, their health and, and things like that. And I, I firmly believe with the Foot Collective, that's going to help just a little bit, you know, that's, that's a little, you know. That's a little bit more in even my kids' lives. It's, that's going to be a, a game changer when, you know, they're active in their sports as well. Thanks for tuning in to the Restore to Explore podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review wherever you're listening. That's the best way to support us and to help us reach more people. If you're after more free TFC education or training, looking for any of our TFC tools, natural footwear discounts, or you want specialized guidance on your foot health journey from a trusted TFC health professional, head to thefootcollective.com. All of the important links are in the show notes of the episode.